0: that's it that's my show for tonight i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you heard some artists that you didn't know about and enjoyed some artists that you did and remember all of these artists that i played on this show are out there right now touring and creating new original music rooted in the blues If you want to keep the blues alive, you have to support the artists who are out there creating that new music. Because it is a living art form that is being performed every single night, somewhere in the world. So if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingascene.org. You can find out about some great new artists and the ones that we played on this show tonight, add them to your playlist. And you can discover them on our website. So, till next time, this is Lohamadu. Tech out here.
1: they just gone away. Dr. Face left now with my friend, I gone lost my dog, I'm alone. Just fall somebody. I mean found it funny. I got knocked in the head, man, My old friends I lie, think I'm dead do e
0: Now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Laurie Jones, and stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
2: So Don't. Roll.
0: He's saying we got Laurie on the line right now. Hey, Laurie, how you doing? Hey, I'm good.
3: Great being here and great talking to you.
0: Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is by your journey, where you came from, and how you got to where you are today. So, give us the story of Lori good. Jones.
3: Oh, the story of Laurie Jones. So um, I guess I would probably start by telling you I can't remember a time when I wasn't somehow um, playing music, singing music, and part of it. Um, So really at a very young age, here's something really interesting. When I was um, 12, my uh, parents, I think they were crazy enough that I went on tour with a, uh, like a country group, and my grandmother was my chaperone. So when you think about a 12-year-old kind of out there, already being sort of thrown into the music business, um, I've been at this for a while, and so, um, you know, I started writing songs. Um, I'm from Maine. I don't know if you knew that about me, but I'm from Maine. I'm from the easternmost point in the United States, Okay. Yeah, so, like, far-flung, like, in Maine, and, um, you know, and on the coast, and, um, you know, through, through those early years, my uh, musical adventures, you know, took me to Nashville. I feel like I'm going to tell you a story you've heard many times, um, but I recorded my first album in Nashville, um, and that would have been my first proper, but what got me to that point is, um, you know, when I was younger than that, I was in a band and, you know, I played a lot of cover songs and played in a rock band and I really got frustrated with playing other people's music and um, decided, you know, I, you know, I think I could write songs. And so out of that frustration, I started writing my own stuff and I, and I really got the bug. And so um, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I don't really remember a time that I wasn't playing music, writing music and um, just really pursuing something um, broader and more meaningful you know in in, in that artistry and so um, so back a while you know seven CDs ago I, I kicked it off in Nashville with a CD and um, just released number seven so um, I've been here a while.
0: okay all right. Now, let's talk a little bit about this release. You know, every artist that puts out a release always has either a a goal in mind or a particular message they're trying to bring across. What was your goal or message for this particular release?
3: That is a really great question, and I want to tell you absolutely no goal in mind. No, this this particular uh, release, this, you know, uh, this record Dark Horse, I had no goals in mind. I just started writing and I knew that I had a story that was coming together. And then the way that it was being downloaded and processed, I knew that I wanted to put these songs together. And so, um, so as far as the goal, you know, the goal kept changing. The end result kept changing. Okay, I want to write these songs. And then, okay, I want to put them together. And then, you know, I'm meeting with some friends and uh, co-producers and talking to them. And next thing you know, you have a nine-song album ready to roll, which is, you know, very, very exciting. But um, in short, there was no goal. It was just really um, the process of just writing this, this collection of, of songs.
0: Okay. So it was more of a cathartic thing that you just needed to get these out?
3: Yeah. They just, they, they came and, um, and yeah, I, I gave life to them, I guess you would say. And then um, they were worthy of, of going steps further.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that process as a songwriter. Now, you had mentioned you had been to Nashville. And they have a very structured way of, you know, Working as a songwriter, you know they they have songwriting times and days, and you know they 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 make uh, co-writing appointments. And then there are other writers that are more inspirational-driven. You know, when the when the feeling hits them, they write. What is kind of your process that allows you to tap into the muse? Well, I want to point
3: out first that the 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 Nashville formula or that part of songwriting doesn't work out for me. And so um, I have a process that's that's different. I don't, it's not forced, so to speak. I don't always know it's going to happen. Um, I would say that with each album that I've put out, the process has been a bit different. Um, And so far, you know, I write these songs by myself. And I, and... um, And they're, you know, they come in different forms in different ways. The difference with this album is that I had a a pretty major case of insomnia. And I was waking up with melodies. And and so then I would, you know, get up and I would think about that and I would find a way to capture and... um, and then I then I would write the song, so it was different than before. But back to your initial question, you know, I'm not one that can sit in a group with a, a songwriting group and say, "Okay, let's roll, let's write a song." Um, perhaps I could do that, or maybe I could I could try that. That's just not the way that this record came to me. If that makes sense,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, you know, I always find that that melody and lyrics are are really functions of. of either side of the brain you know lyrics are very structured they have continuity they have uh, a story they have meter they have rhyme but melody is a little different some writers like to work off a groove others like a chord structure and then others just allow the lyric to kind of dictate where the melody should go what is kind of your go-to when you go searching for the melodies You know,
3: with a melody, oftentimes I will, um, I'll hear a melody. For example, if I'm playing on my guitar, which is, you know, which is the instrument that I write on, um, if I'm playing my guitar, I can hear a melody and I can hear inflection. And I don't necessarily always know what the lyric might be. Um, and again, it's, it's almost like, you know, a butterfly sort of taking off and you want to catch it. Like, okay, I, I have something that, and, I need, and I need to catch it. I want to keep it going. And as I'm working through a melody, I will hear words and hear inflections. Um, and so, you know, what I can say to you is it's not always the same. Sometimes I can write melodies with no lyrical content at all. And then sometimes I, I can write lyrics spot on um, with a melody at the same time. I really wish there was like a, a science for this, but I, you know, I haven't really figured out what the formula is. It's just I'm so grateful that it does happen.
0: Yeah. Now, you had mentioned that sometimes melodies are like that butterfly that just flutters off that you try to capture. And a lot of songwriters have really embraced technology like a cell phone to capture those momentary ideas. And, and other, you know, home recording studios, you know, um, online, you know, writing and, and, you know, rhyming dictionaries. What are some of the tools that you use when you sit down to write?
3: I am a good old-fashioned girl here where I always have my journal. So I journal endlessly with lyrics. I capture every melody that comes to me. I capture actually on my iPhone on the recorder. It's it's the quickest um, it's the quickest way for me to capture those things that I think that I might lose. I'll I'll get my recorder on. I will say, hey, you know, whatever the chord progression is, this is what chord, these are the chords that I'm playing, and then I'll hum it out. I'll sing it out, and um, my iPhone is full of all these ideas that um, that I don't want to escape. And then once I you know, once I've sort of captured it, captured it in that that way, which is instant, and you know, and and you know, I have that, and it's and it's uh, dated and stamped, and I know, okay, that's something I'm working on. I do get a little bit more formal once I've put a song together, and I will, um, you know, use a program, for example, like GarageBand, and um, and put a vocal. And a guitar track down, and um, maybe it, sort of document my beats for a minute or whatnot, in order just to um, understand what the structure of the song is, and and even ask myself, quite frankly, is this a song? Is this, you know, or is this like a baby of a song that I'm going to put over here for a bit, or or am I going to um, am I going to keep pursuing this and 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 see this to its end? So it's kind of I would describe it to you as layers, kind of hmm. layers. It's like, okay, this is this is the short little, um, I caught it on my phone, this is it, okay, I've worked through it, now I'm ready to commit it to GarageBand.
0: Okay. Now, um... One of the things I think a lot of songwriters struggle with is that moment where you need to put the pen down. I mean, you can write the hell out of a song.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can actually suck the life out of it. Uh, And I always look at songs as as almost like teenagers. It has to get to a point where you need to let them go and allow Mm. the producer, the, the musicians, to kind of put their fingerprints on it. What do you do to kind of determine that moment in a song's life?
3: yeah I love that I love what you what you just said about that that um, you could you could almost ruin a good thing right that you have something and you do need to let it go. Um, I don't know you know I don't know where you know where it lies that that you have enough trust to sort of hand that over. I will say that Dark Horse is the first um, record that I've put out that I did that that I sort of turned over um, that creative kind of license to someone else. Um, I think that, gosh, I don't even know if I can answer that question. When can I hand it over? I guess when I feel like, um, to your point, that I'm not helping the process along any further. That, that um, I, I think that sometimes simple is better less is more Mm -hmm. and i can overcomplicate it and i think when i start to feel that when i when it when a song is being too forced that it's time for me to let go
0: okay well that's fair enough now let's talk a little bit about uh going into the studio uh you know having a good song gives you something to say it's it's a you know, a a narrative that you need to get out. But going into the studio creates an identity, not only for the song itself, but you as an artist. What is your process when you get into that environment that allows you to capture your sound?
3: Mm. Well, first I want to tell you that going into the studio and actually recording the songs, that's the part that really freaks me out. So we need to get that out of the way that's the part that freaks it it totally freaks me out because it's so permanent right it's like wow this is really important and sometimes it just actually makes me not feel good because it's so permanent and so um with this new record i have to tell you the process was totally different um because we were making a record during a pandemic mm-hmm. so it looked so it looked different It looked a lot different, and it required a lot of trust, a lot of trust and not being able to see the people that were actually playing their parts, and it was different. And uh, prior to that, though, I'll tell you what it looked like for me, and that is um, really different ways. There's different records that I've done, and I'm going to give you an example of a record uh, just called Laurie Jones, and that was a record that the whole band played live. We wanted that live sound. We, um, you know, did everything we could to be in a room together and play. And the only, the only, um, the only track that wasn't recorded at the same time was my vocal. Um, I was able to do my vocal after. And so that was one approach. And I like how that record sounds because it sounds a lot like what, what you would hear with Laurie Jones' band. Um, with this new record, You know, it was different, and and um, probably more the approach which you had, um, you know, alluded to would be that you know folks come in at different times, and it's built, you know. And in this type of process, you can take things away, you can add more, you Mm -hmm. can say, you can, you know, you can say, and you can trust. Okay, this is enough. Um, I've also worked in, in, um, you know, on a record, you know, previously that we were just, we were adding layers, you know, okay, so, you know, we may start with drums first and then um, add the bass and start adding things and building and then, um, and, you know, that's certainly, you know, a good way to, you know, take on recording and, you know, I have found in the past that those, that type of recording takes a long time too, you know, because I'm always bringing people in and, you know, I have records that were recorded that way.
0: Now, you had mentioned earlier about how you had given up some control with this, that you had handed this off. Did you work with a particular producer that that really kind of helped shape the sound of this particular recording?
3: 100% yes. And so for Dark Horse, which, you know, is the new CD that I'm super, super proud of and, and, you know, psyched about, it's the first time I actually have worked with a producer. And so I worked with um, Darren Elder, who's a producer and co-producer, um, a, a very, very talented um, musician and friend of mine named Maimon. And um, we had multiple, multiple um, production meetings about these songs and this record. In fact, back to the point where I wasn't even sure what the goal was, you know, back to the earlier question. And to really talk these through, and so I would say yes um, to that question that uh, Darren really shaped this record, along with um, uh, uh, the engineer Kevin Billingsley, who worked with him at Halo Studio up here in Maine. And um, and so they did an incredible job. I you know I was blown away by these tracks when I. Heard them, and so, um, so yeah. The, the short answer is yes, absolutely. Someone else definitely helped shape this record.
0: Okay, now tell me a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's playing on the CD with you?
3: Okay, so you know there are folks that you've really just made this record just sound as fierce as it as it is. So Kevin Billingsley, who also um, engineered this record. Um, he played all the guitars and bass, and um, acoustic guitar is um, a, a very, very fine fellow named Torrin Jones, who happens to be my son.
0: Okay, there that you makes go.
3: it fun. Yeah, and he actually wrote one of the tracks on the on the CD. He wrote um, a song called "Dazed." That's his that's his tune. Um, drums, um, Jacob Wertman. He played drums. And then also Darren, who who produced the record, he played drums and percussion as well. And then a a very talented man by the name of Glenn Cavan, he played uh, keys and and strings. And, you know, I have to add um, the backing vocals, like incredible, incredible vocals. I was just blown away by this beautiful... um, singer by the name of Amy Godier who played, um, who, who didn't play, she actually sang back up on this record.
0: Okay, well it sounds like you had a great lineup, especially when you keep it in the family, you know?
3: Yeah, oh and I sang too, I should mention that, right? Like, oh yeah, so I, I did all the lead vocals, yeah, okay, that was me. Yeah,
0: yeah, you, know, you, you have to be on there somewhere, right? I do. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, getting it out there, you know, um, You know, uh, when you put out a release, you have to put together a team. You have to get someone that's going to get it out to radio. You have to get it out to, um, you know, the PR people. And you are working with um, uh, your your PR team and your radio team. Tell me a little bit about that relationship.
3: Yeah, I want to acknowledge first for everyone to understand how much work this is. Can I just say that? Sure. So you make a record, you, you you write a bunch of songs, you know, and it was like a therapeutic and then you make a record and then it's like, oh, wow, we still have all this other work to do. That's right. Because you want people to hear it. And um, and so, yeah, I'm working with Planetary Group, um, really a great bunch of people that are doing my radio um, for me and um, things are going pretty well. Um, with a radio campaign, so all you folks listening, radio is still king. Let's not forget good old radio. Um, and as far as my PR is concerned, I have a very small group called um, Bad Mother Hype that's getting the PR and the press and all that necessary goodness together to get the word out.
0: Okay. Now, let's talk about the industry a little bit. Now, we all know that recording a, a an album or CD or even what they call now—you got to call it a release because you know CDs are pretty much dead. Um, yeah. Recording a release is an expensive proposition. You know, hiring a PR firm, hiring a radio promoter—you know, these are all expenses. And the problem now for an independent artist is, is that we've been in this digital revolution for over twenty years, and the way that people consume music today is through streaming. And the offshoot of that is that the consumer now no longer looks at recorded music as a product. Mm-hmm. It's now a service that's available for free on their phone. They don't have to purchase it anymore. They go in their car. They, their cars don't even have CD players in it. You know? So you know, how has this shift in perception uh, of, the, uh, of recorded music affected you as an independent artist?
3: Well, you know, I I have to say it is the wild west, right? I as far as you know, music has just changed so much when you think about you know, back, you know, ba- I want to call it back in the day. I mean, come on, we were making records and playing gigs and people bought CDs and and it, so the digital world, I think I think it's two-sided. I think that it um it's beautiful and wonderful that people have such easy access to your material. I, that's that's the beautiful part, right? The, the, the light side of it. That there's such immediate access to music and to a new artist and to discover new artists. And um, that's the beautiful part. The tough part is... The immediacy, like if that's even a word, that people can have this and have such access to it, and that it's free. So, hmm. uh, you know, and so it's free. And so, when I think about something being free, then I think about it really devalues it. So,
0: well, yeah, it is definitely a, it's a double edged sword. You know, we're looking at because you know prior to this whole streaming technology getting your music into the the mindset of the masses was difficult but Mm -hmm. now you have access to you know potential fans throughout the world you know people are consuming more but yet paying less for that music so Mm -hmm. that's that's really the conundrum that we're sitting with now you know
3: yeah, it really is. And it's, it's like a blessing and a curse at the same time if you want to look at it from, you know, um, the value in it. I mean, again, the value for an artist it, it is great because, like, to your point, you can, you, can, um, you can get this out to more fans. More fans can have access to this and, and immediate access. And the downside is the, that it's not as valued, meaning someone isn't going to... Buy the CD. They're right. going to stream it, and, and you know, it, it, you know, it, it, and again, I mean, it, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, and it's also a challenge. And I and I and me as an artist, I'm not so sure I've even worked through all those challenges yet. I'm always grateful when new people find Laurie Jones, and, and people are really digging this new CD, and I love that because I love that. I think that's great. It's it's the, the financial piece. You know, for people who are working musicians and writing and, um, you know, that's where the challenge lies. And, and, and I have to be honest with you, myself, I haven't quite figured out what the remedy is just
0: yet. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I've noticed, you know, uh, especially since the pandemic has hit, is that, and of course with streaming, is that the product is no longer the recorded music. The product now for an artist is the brand. You know, people are creating brands that they are monetizing, and that's where the revenue stream lives now. It's not so much within the music itself, it's within the music, the image, you know, the whole total package. It's a different world uh, that we have to look at as to where this, you know, this actual product is. And and I believe it sits in the brand that an artist has.
3: Good point. No, no, it is, and and in um, reaching that, you know, reaching that you could call it a customer, so to speak, the listener. You reaching those people, and um, and you know, you just, when you were saying that, it made me think that you know the connection really lies in the story. You know, the brand, the story, mm-hmm. um, something that people want to get behind and learn more about. And so, as artists and musicians. Um, you know to your point we 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 have to be able to brand ourselves and get our stories out there because that's what's going to um you know with with so much out there we know there are tons and tons of musicians and you know people that are all doing the same thing that i'm doing and um what what makes your story unique that might be the key
0: well it definitely is the key and you know with the shutdown of of touring with the pandemic it forced a lot of artists into this world of, of content creation, uh, doing live streams, music videos, working their social media, you know, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Clapper and all these, these other. And the fans got an opportunity to... See the artist in their own environment, in other words, if you did a live stream from your living room, they got to see your living room you know mm-hmm. they got to see your porch they got to you know I know a, a friend of mine uh, mindy abar who 's a, a saxophone player. She was on the American Idol uh, bands you know the, and they would feature her once in a while and she 's got okay. her own thing. She does a cooking show with her husband you know on YouTube, and they I got their that. own line of wines. <laughs> You know, Uh you've got um, Tim McGraw, you know, he goes up on on TikTok and finds uh, people doing covers of his songs and he comments on it, you know, like, hey, love your voice, love this arrangement, you know, did a great job. Uh, You know, David Grohl was doing drum battles with an Uh 11-year-old girl drummer. Yeah, I saw that.
3: Good stuff, right? I mean, just such good
0: stuff. But this all goes to that whole thing of branding themselves and endearing themselves with their fan base. You know, you may not be doing drum battles with David Grohl. He may not bring you on stage in a stadium show to play with the Foo Fighters. But that possibility that that could happen, that it did Mm -hmm. happen to someone... Mm-hmm. is what endears people to that brand to to him as an artist and i think uh you know even taylor swift she goes out and hunts down her super fans and then invites them to her house to listen to the new next release you know amazing
3: yeah amazing yeah. First, I definitely want to have a drum-off with Dave Grohl. I just want to put (laughs) that out there. So, Dave, if you're listening, um, you know, let's see if we can get that going because I I would lose, but I would lose very happy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I love what you're saying, and I think that, you know, what has happened is we've, you know, I want to call it we've all gotten to know each other a little better Mm -hmm. and more more not as... um, you know that that you're in the audience, and then you have you know somebody famous that's that's up on a stage. It's like you feel like you're you you are in their home, and I think people want to see um, see folks as they really are. You know, not in that um, that stardom, but like um, yeah, you're you're in your kitchen and you're cooking, and I'm right there with you, and so. You know, it's very interesting, really. It, it all is. It's, it's a part of that accessibility and how fans want to see, um, you know, the artists that they, that they follow.
0: Well, you know, it's almost a reality show mentality. You know, mm. that people want to see this reality show. They don't want to be hit over the head with buy my music, listen to my music, buy my mm-hmm. music. But they want to know who the artist is as a person. And then they invest in that artist. Now, you and I both know that live music has had its issues even before the pandemic. I'm sure you've had those gigs where you go into a club. You know, there's 15 people there. Ten of them are blood relatives, and they're all watching the television. <laughs> you know those gigs. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> you, you've been to my gigs. Is that, is that what you're
0: trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> So, we know that there's an issue there, but if you think about it, there is a huge potential fan base that really never had that frame of reference of going to a intimate venue and watching music being created in the moment. You know, I'm an old guy. I grew up with live music in clubs. I grew up yeah. going to see bands, but the generations of the last 20 or 30 years really don't have that frame of reference they would go to the large shows the stadium shows and they would the excitement would be generated by lights and choreography and costume changes and the music sounded just like the recordings yeah it was not that experience of seeing music in the moment but now with the Internet and with social media and with creating these brands and this reality show type mentality, you can attract this new fan base. So when they go past that marquee and they see Lori Jones on the marquee and they say, oh, I know her. We're yeah. friends on on Facebook. We're you know I seen her TikToks. I watched her on you know Facebook Live and yada yada yada. That may drive a new fan base to go and experience that music in the moment. That music yeah, yeah, being yeah, created yeah. then.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you because it does feel like a friend. It feels like oh like I know that person because I right. do think we, we we do think that we that our Facebook friends are our friends, even when we don't
0: know them. I mean, it, that is for sure, but, um, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that once they experience that uniqueness of seeing a musical presentation that will not be repeated, that will not happen again, that will not, you know, it once it's done, it's gone, you know, that's, that's a uniqueness that I think people will will gravitate to, yeah, and
3: that and and that actually goes back to why recording freaks me out because, <laughs> well, it's true because sometimes when you're playing live shows and those really intimate shows, sometimes you capture a magical moment and it's gone, or you capture a really not magical moment, let's be honest, and it's gone, <laughs> and um when you record, it's just so permanent, but um I'm looking forward. I, I'm, you know, talk, speaking of live music, I'm really looking forward to playing out more live, because it does seem so special now, doesn't
0: it? Oh, when of you, course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've been without it for two years. Yeah, and, and, talk, a and talking of that, um, you know, every artist is facing their challenges in getting back to performing live again, whether it's... You know, especially now that it's getting cold and I know up in Maine it's getting kinda chilly up there. So the outdoor Mm -hmm. the outdoor gigs are gone. So now you've got concerns about COVID, about who's vaccinated, who's not, who's wearing a mask, who's not. And then you also, as a touring artist, you know a lot of those routing venues, they're not they didn't survive. Mm. So now you have to, you know, find venues that are willing to take a touring artist, willing to, you know, pay a guarantee that it would make it worthwhile for you to to drive and spend the gas and and the food and pay the band and all that jazz. Uh, What are some of the challenges that you're facing as you look towards the going back to performing live?
3: Yeah, I mean, some of the challenges that I'm already having, um, well, again, is that I don't have a crystal ball. Like, I I don't know what things will look like in the spring or in the summer. And, you know, I I do have some shows that are booked. I have a show um, in January, and I have a show that's booked a little bit later than that, closer to the spring, which, you know, I would consider a bigger show. And I'm very apprehensive right now to put together um, any type of winter tour because of because of the current pandemic and um, the new variant and all these different things because for one I don't want to put a band on the road and us have to make different arrangements and so as I think ahead for spring and summer fall I would love to think um, that I could and I and I will be putting some things together so that we can have a string of um, shows to follow up on this radio campaign and the challenge is the unknown. Not having a crystal ball on what's going to happen. And that if you put a band on the road, those you're responsible for those people. And you know, and you don't want to, you know, and you're the you're the leader of the team, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to um, disappoint other people. And so, you know, my thought is this: um, that I that I need to wait a bit. And the unknowing again is is, is the biggest challenge because I want to play. And I want it to be safe, and I want people to come out and hear us, and I want the band to feel like it's worthy, and, um, and I also just want to make the, the, the right decisions. And so I know that answer was all over the place, but I guess that's just how I feel. I'm just so uncertain as to um, when is the right time, and when would it be okay to feel secure in those decisions.
0: Well, you know, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that is the biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of touring artists, is that unknown. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen with the variant. We don't... You know, we, you have, you know, to me, the vaccine is, is your passport to live music. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the gateway drug to live music.
3: Oh, I love that. I want to feel that. Go ahead. It is the, it is the gateway drug to live yeah. music. It, no, it is. And I, I just have to tell you this quick little story, and that is that I played a show um, recently. And I had a blast with it. It was, it was a really good show, and it was in a venue that... Um, we were you know making sure the, that the venue has their own policies of course that you have to have vaccination and or covid free and i have to tell you that there were people that were coming to the show who couldn't come because they didn't understand those um uh, those policies and mm-hmm. so it, it so it, that makes it tough too because you know people are going to come and see you play and then they're not able to come because they didn't know and so it almost puts the artist in a different type of position than we've ever been in before because um, it's almost like a worry outside of what we should be worrying about, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense, definitely. Yeah. Now, there is a revolution happening, you know, um, on the horizon in the music industry. Uh, there is this world of cryptocurrency and, and non-fungible tokens that are based on this whole decentralized world um of finance where there won't be any more large corporations like spotify like record companies where the independent artists will have more control over the their art how it is distributed how it is compensated for and um as we go forward into this, what are some of the things that you would like to see as an artist um, to that would be evolved from this new technology?
3: Yeah. Well, first, I want to tell you that I don't know a lot about this technology. I'm, I'm really you know, I, I want to learn more. I want to know. Um, and so, I think that, you know, a short answer to you, because, my, because I have such little knowledge about that, would be that, um, that I would hope that it would be very beneficial to the artist and that somehow we could streamline this in a way that makes sense to us, if that makes sense to you at all.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: Um, yeah, it's just that, that somehow it would be simplified because, you um, you know, when it comes to Spotify or whatnot, we don't really know. It's sort of like, okay, great, I got 100,000 streams. What does that really mean? Uh, and, and, and what am I being paid for that? And how am I being paid for that? And so I think that the hope would be that it would make sense um, on a level that, um, that we would need it to.
0: Well, you know, I think the, the biggest problem with, with you know companies like Spotify is that they don't, they're not transparent. They don't okay. let you know how their algorithm works. They don't let you know how their payment schedule works. Um it's different for that small independent artist than it is for Drake or, or any of the, the larger artists that are out there. Much like the PROs, you know, the mm. you know, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, you know, yeah. the, the biggest artists get the biggest piece of the pie and the the independent artists even though they're performing their own songs in venues that are paying ASCAP BMI for the rights to to have you perform your own music you're not getting compensated for it mm. you know it's, no, it's yeah you know and and if we can eliminate that that choke that these corporations have on the independent artists i think that would be a, a much better system you know what i mean Agreed.
3: Yeah, agreed. I agree. I agree completely because some of these things in these areas that are gray for us, you know, and that we're spending a lot of time, you know, I don't want to say figuring out because, of course, I mean, I can figure it out or we can figure it out, you know, however... They are the, the bigger artists like you're talking about, they have they have the ammunition, they have the muscle behind it with teams that are investigating that for them and making sure that they're being compensated. Where um, an independent artist, we, we, we don't necessarily have the muscle for all that follow-up like a, like a, um, a major label would.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to really love this. Um, Turn it up loud. Open the windows. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. (laughs)
3: Thank you. This has been an absolute blast.
0: Thank you so much. You're, You're welcome. Thank you. that's it that's my show for tonight i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you heard some artists that you didn't know about and enjoyed some artists that you did and remember all of these artists that i played on this show are out there right now touring and creating new original music rooted in the blues if you want to keep the blues alive, you have to support the artists who are out there creating that new music. Because it is a living art form that is being performed every single night somewhere in the world. So if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingthescene.org. You can find out about some great new artists. And the ones that we played on this show tonight, head them to your playlist, and you can discover them on our website. So, till next time, this is Lahamadou. Tech! I'm out of here.
1: Baby, just gone away. Talked to left home with my friends. I gone lost, my dog, I'm alone. Just fought somebody. I mean, found it funny. I got knocked in the head, man. My old friend's not lying, he'll think I'm dead. Don't drink for the